take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Ephesians with me, if you would. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 in your Bibles this morning. Psalm 50 and verse 15 says, And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. All, we're instructed to call upon the Lord in the day of trouble, and God says that he will deliver those who call upon him, and in us calling upon him, and in him delivering us, he will be honored, he will be glorified. Our theme this year has been, I will honor God, and, uh, and I hope that you've seen that poster on your refrigerator throughout the year, and I hope it's brought conviction to your heart at times, I hope that you've been reminded of that scriptural truth from 1 Samuel chapter 2, and I hope that you've lived it out this year. I hope it's impacted your life. Um, we've been studying uh, here in Ephesians chapter 6. We've been looking at how we're in a battle. And look with me, if you would, in verse 10. I'll read down through verse 17. Paul says to the church at Ephesus, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles, the methods of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Verse 14. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And then we come to verse 18, and he talks to us about praying always. And we were reminded, and really we learned last week that prayer is the instrument by which we are expected and that we are able to carry out our warfare. How is it that you and I can be victorious in the battle, the spiritual battle that's taking place tomorrow and even today? But tomorrow you'll go back into the workplace. Michelle and Beth, you'll go back to a school that's been affected by grief and loss. And the battle, while emotional, will primarily be spiritual. There will be a spiritual battle. And it's not just for Michelle and Beth as teachers at Seymour Elementary, but for every one of us. Tomorrow morning you'll wake up and really you're going back into the battle. And there are people in the workplace you might not get along with real well. You may not see eye to eye. A boss who may you may be negative about or struggle with, or maybe vice versa. But, but, the, but again, the battle is primarily spiritual. And so how are we supposed to be victorious? And again, it's impossible, absolutely impossible, to put on the whole armor of God. It's impossible to stand against the methodology, the methods, the plan of the evil one against you and your family without prayer. It's, it's impossible to overcome, as we read the principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places unless you are praying. Last week we looked at verse number 18. Look there again in verse 18. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And that's all the further we got last week, just half a verse. But there were several truths in that half a verse. One was that we are to be praying always. Or to be praying always. And we uh, considered it from the perspective, it, it's you never have to make the call because you've never hung up. You've never been disconnected. You're always in prayer. You're always in everything that you do. You're looking to the Lord for his help. And you're looking to the Lord for his power. And you're looking to the Lord for his wisdom and his understanding and how to go through the challenge and the trial that you're facing or the the, the situation you're looking at. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17, the Bible says, pray without ceasing. And so we're always to be in communion with the Lord. 
Jesus taught that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And I submit to us this morning just as a way of reminder that men always faint when we don't pray. We, we give in to temptation. We respond in the flesh. Um, we do not please the Lord when we're not praying. We're not looking to him for help. And so Paul told us uh, by the Spirit of God, be praying always. Secondly, in verse Verse 18, the beginning part, we learn that prayer requires extreme poverty and intensity. I won't go back and re-preach it all, but it's not that a person has to be financially destitute to pray properly. A person can have finances, but, and a person can have health, but we don't pray as Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18 instructs us to pray unless we view ourselves as not having what we need unless God intervenes. Uh, How do you pray when it comes to your marriage? Do you pray as if you've got it all together? Uh, How do you pray when it comes to your business decisions? Do you pray like you've got it all together and like you already got it all figured out and like you don't need anything from God? How do you pray when it comes to training up your children. You've got those children and they're precious and they're in your home and they're not going to be in your home much longer. And you have this brief window of time. How do you pray? How do you supplicate when you pray about these matters? How do I pray about these matters? Do I pray like, uh, like I'm casual and formal and just going through the motions? You know, uh, and, and of course we talk, some people, some, some of us don't pray at all. We don't ask. Others of us ask, and we ask, and we're very casual, very formal. Um, and, and Paul says, if you're going to pray, you're going to have to pray with all prayer. And that's the term he used in our passage. You're going to have to pray with all prayer. And so when he says all prayer, he's uh, this believer who prays with all prayer is crying out for God's help in that situation, believing that God is the only one that can make any difference at all in that situation. That's praying with all prayer. Praying with all prayer is not normally how we pray. Thirdly, we noticed in verse number 18, the beginning part, that prayer requires divine empowerment. Biblical prayer, God-pleasing prayer, requires divine empowerment. And you remember we were told that we were to pray in the Spirit, in His Spirit, in His wisdom, in His Understanding the understanding of the Spirit of God in the power of the Spirit and in submission to the Holy Spirit of God in our prayer closet. And I mentioned to you last week that if you and I will pray in the Spirit, we will never ask amiss. There have been so many times in my life, I'm afraid, where I've prayed, I've asked for something that totally missed the mark about what God wanted to do in the matter. I knew what I wanted done, but I didn't even think about what God wanted to do in the matter. And, and by the way, part of this is growing up. It's called growing up spiritually. Growing up in the Lord. Becoming more mature as we grow older in the Lord. When we were, when we were little, we didn't care at all, so to speak. And as we grow older, we're, we ought to be more in tune with what God wants. Well, the Spirit of God lives within us. And uh, if we'll say yes to him, then we will always ask for what we ought to ask for. And that brings us here to verse 18, the latter part. Look there, verse number 18. He says, And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So now we see in verse 18, not only are we to be praying always, and not only are we to be praying with all prayer, and not only are we to be praying in the Spirit, but now he says, I want you to be In praying, I want you to be watching and persevering in your watching and persevering in your supplication for all the saints. And he's not talking about people who are dead, as Roman Catholicism would teach. Saints are born-again believers. You are a saint. In Christ, you and I are saints, those of us who are born again, saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now in this passage, Paul, as he's given this instruction about prayer, now he he draws our attention to who we're to be praying for. And he says, you ought to be praying. You need to be praying for one another. 
You need to be beseeching God with all prayer, with, with a sense of intensity, and, and it all depends upon God. You need to be praying at all times. Uh, you need to be praying in the Spirit, in obedience to the Spirit of God. You need to be praying for one another. Nowhere else in Scripture has there been a passage of Scripture that has impacted me so much about praying for one another as this passage that we'll look at this morning. Look at verse number 19. He says, And for me, Paul says, Pray for me too, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds. He says, I'm in bondage, I'm chained up. But I need you to pray for me that therein I might speak, that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray this morning and ask God for his help. And then we'll look at these few verses, these two and a half verses this morning about prayer, how we should pray for one another. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us, I pray this morning. Father, I think of Mrs. White who fell this morning in the building and uh, hurt herself. Father, I pray for her as she's probably at Genesis Hospital even now. I pray that they'd be able to take good care of her. I pray you protect her. I pray that she'd rest in you, that she would trust in you. Lord, give her peace that passeth all understanding. I pray that you'd bring some nurses along who are believers, that Mrs. White, you might re- reassure her heart that she is not alone, and that you're watching over her. Father, I pray for us as believers There's such a diversity of people in this room this morning, young and old, rich and poor, I suppose, uh, new believers and believers who have been saved a long time. Father, I pray that you'd burden our hearts for one another. And Father, I pray that it would be known to us whether we are burdened or not and whether we love one another by how we pray for one another. So lay out for us this morning, I pray, your desire... Uh, your desire for us and how we ought to pray one for another. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, Paul, of course, is encouraging the church at Ephesus to be strong in the Lord. And, he, and it's as if, as if they're not strong in the Lord, and if they're not strong in the power of his might, they're going to be overwhelmed. And he has instructed us to put on the whole armor of God so that we can withstand the vicious attacks of the devil that we face every day. And as I mentioned to you before, and you must not disconnect these truths, now we're talking about prayer, but you must not disconnect this truth, these truths about prayer from the battle that we're in, because that's the context of this, of this instruction. You're in a battle. Um, there's opposition. It's the Christmas season. Um, you remember when Jesus Christ was born, and um, not long after that, there was opposition. You remember how uh, all the babies, all the baby boys under a certain year of age, I believe it was two, or uh, many were put to death as, as the devil was actively working to destroy the baby Jesus, the one who would grow to to, to hang on that cross, to take away the sins of the world. And so too, like Jesus, so too are the followers of Christ in a battle. You're in a battle. You're, I'm in a battle. And so God wants us to put on the whole armor of God, but prayer is a weapon that God intends for us to use to war against the enemy. And we should remember that we're not in the battle alone. We have a couple of uh, law enforcement officers here today, and when they go off to work every day, they do something that we normally don't do, most of us, and that is they carry a weapon. They put on their weapon, and it's ready, and they're trained, and they know how to use it, and they go into the, the workplace, and they're ready for whatever might come their way. Well, so too must the child of God every day put on the weaponry that God has given for us. And again, remember, we're not in this battle alone. Sometimes I feel, as we think about, okay, the battle, we think about us in the battle. But I think some, many times we neglect to think that the people around us are in a battle too. And uh, Mrs. Merritt is here this morning, and it, it was not that long ago when God took her husband Paul home to be with him. There are different battles that Mrs. Merritt is facing now that she didn't face over the past year while Mr. Merritt was going through these struggles. 
And we could go around the room this morning. We don't have the time to do it, but there are struggles all over the room. There are different battles all over the room. And again, I submit to you, while we might be quick to say, well, yes, an individual might struggle, and we have several widows in the room this morning who lost their husbands in the past year. They would struggle because they've lost the love of their life. But again, even in that, the battle is not primarily physical or emotional. The battle is primarily spiritual. There's a spiritual battle going on. And, there, and there's a spiritual battle in a home where there's, the children are in the home. And, and, and uh, the home where the children are out of the home. And on and on it can go. But we must, and this is what Paul is drawing our attention to this morning, we must be able to connect this that we're in a spiritual battle and the people that we love and care about, the fellow members of Trinity Baptist Church, are also in a spiritual battle. And the question is, do we care? In verse number 18, the latter part, I noticed that we're to pray as we watch for all the saints. We're to pray as we watch for all the saints. Now, I have, we have to be reminded this morning that we should that Paul is writing to a church. He's not writing to a, a seminary. He's not writing to a Christian college who are training men to preach the word of God and pastor. He's not writing to apostles. Paul is writing to a church made up of folks who are young and folks who are old and folks who are rich and poor and men and women, uh, children, believers. And God wants all of us to be alert and to be persisting in prayer for all the saints, the people that we know. Look at verse 18 again. The middle part, verse 18, he says, And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. When you're outside of the church, do you ever think about the church? I don't mean the property. But when you're away from the church, when you're separated from the church, do you find your mind ever going to your fellow church members? you ever find yourself thinking about one another? you ever find yourself concerned for one another? In John chapter 17, the Lord Jesus Christ prayed to his heavenly Father for not only his disciples in that day, but for all disciples who would ever follow him. He prayed for you and for me. In fact, in John chapter 13, verse 35, the Bible says, Jesus said, "...by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples." If ye have love one to another. A person is a learner of Christ who loves his fellow believers. And I dare say that a person is not a learner of Christ who does not love his fellow believers. Are you following me? You say, well, I'm, I'm in a certain program. I'm in this ministry. Or I'm very faithful in my attendance. Or I give financially. That is all fine and good. But a person is not a true learner of Jesus Christ. They're not learning Christ. They're not truly following Christ unless they have a love, a sacrificial love for one another. So do you ever take time to think about the church, the assembly of believers outside of the times when we gather together, do you take time to pray for your fellow believers throughout the week? When, when, when fellow believers come to your mind, do you take time to pray, to take it to the Lord in prayer? Just, was it yesterday or Friday? I can't remember which it was. But there was a certain matter and it was, uh, that was concerning me and it involved a certain individual. And, uh, and it was starting to vex me in my mind. And I was concerned about this particular individual and, and then it just dawned to me, just go to the Lord in prayer. Just pray for them. And so I did. But, but you know, as, even in that situation, it dawned on me, this is not what we're prone to doing. What we're prone to do is worry or be anxious or maybe judge someone else. But that's not what we're supposed to do. What we're supposed to do is go to the Lord in prayer for our fellow believers. And so do we take the time to pray for those believers that we know throughout the week? You know that Jesus prayed for his disciples? I mentioned John chapter 17. Let me read to you from verse number 9. By the way, John 17 is a phenomenal prayer. And if you've never read it or you've never studied it, I, I, I would challenge you to go and read it. John chapter 17 is pretty much the whole chapter. 
And Jesus, in John 17, Jesus prays. It's, it takes place sometime after the upper room where he was with his disciples and sometime before uh, he was betrayed by Judas Iscariot with, by the kiss in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in between that period of time, and it's not a long period of time, Jesus prayed. And listen to what he says in John 17 and verse 9. He says, I pray for them, talking about his disciples, talking about you and me. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Jesus says, I pray for those people who have believed upon me. So if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, then we're going to pray for our fellow believers. And in our text, God is telling us to intercede for other believers. This is called intercessory prayer. Now, every one of us who are saved, we can go to the Lord ourselves in prayer. But in our text, Paul is telling the church at Ephesus, I want you to pray for your fellow believers. I want you to pray for one another. And he's going to intensify it as we go along. If we're following Christ, we're going to be interceding for fellow believers. God wants us to pray for other believers. Now, notice in verse number 18, notice the word watching. Do you see it there in verse number 18? What does that mean? What does the word watching mean? I mean, growing up, I was always taught to close my eyes, right? I mean, so what is this idea of watching while we're praying? Uh, Well, the word watching literally means to be sleepless or to be lying sleepless. In other words, have you ever gone to bed or you wake up really early in the morning and you can't sleep anymore? It's still technically nighttime and you can't sleep. Anybody like that? All right. Yeah. How many of you like that? You can't sleep. All right. Some of you do. Okay. Yeah, I don't understand that. But uh, I like to sleep at night. Okay. But the word watching has the idea to be sleepless or lying asleep. And Jesus used this same word when he, was, when he spoke of his coming in Mark chapter 13. He said, take ye heed, watch and pray. Lie sleepless. When you're awake in the middle of the night, pray. Uh, in another passage of scripture, in Luke chapter 21, Jesus again used the same terminology uh, as he was teaching about the end times. And he said, watch ye therefore... And pray always. Lie sleepless. You're awake, and what should you do? You ought to be praying. Is there ever a time when we should be robbed of sleep? Is there ever a time when we should be robbed of sleep? I'm not saying that we should worry. I'm not saying that that's a good thing for us to be full of anxiety. But it is a good thing, according to this passage, to be concerned for and loving the souls of our fellow believers so much that it causes us to wake up. And when we wake up, according to the context, we are to pray. I've told you before about stumbling in upon my father while in the middle of the night I heard something and he was praying for his children. We're to be concerned for and loving the souls of our fellow believers that much. There's another passage of Scripture in the New Testament where that word watching is used. It's Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17, talking about pastors. And listen to what it says. He says, Obey them that have the rule over you. You ought to obey your pastor. If I'm ever not here, and there's another pastor that you have, and he, and he teaches, rightly divides the word of truth, and he loves your souls. It is the right thing for you to obey your pastor. He says, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. And then he says this about pastors, for they watch for your souls. And the word watch means to lie awake, sleepless. (laughs) I got to tell you, as I was studying this passage, I went, aha, that's why that happens. There are times more than ever before in my life I sleep less now than I've ever slept in my life. I wake up more in the middle of the night than I've ever woken up in my life. And there's a difference between waking up because we're anxious or because we're worried, which could be sinful. And there's a difference between waking up with a concern and love and desire for the people that you pastor. And you go to the Lord in prayer. And that's what he says, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account. 
that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. You see, we're to lie sleepless some nights, watching and praying for one another. But why? Well, because the, the spiritual battle is real. Look again back to verse number 11. Verse 11. He says, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles, the methods of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Why do pastors wake up in the middle of the night concerned about the believers whose souls we've been entrusted with. There's a watching, there's a sleeplessness, there's prayer, there's a burden. Why? Because you're in a battle. And in a battle, in a war, there are casualties. And we want to minimize casualties as much as possible. There doesn't have to be any casualties in the Christian battle. Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. But I know that you have flesh just like I have flesh. And I know that you're enduring temptations and you're, uh, you're uh, facing struggles and difficulties that I have not faced. And so a pastor wakes up in the middle of the night and he prays for the people that he loves. And what Paul's saying in this passage is in Ephesians chapter 6, he's not talking to pastors. He's talking to the church. And he says, you ought to be praying always. And you ought to be praying with all prayer. And you must be praying in the Spirit. And you ought to be watching for all the saints. So my question to you is, are you watching? Do you ever wake up? And maybe it's not during the night time. Maybe it's during the daytime. And you're busy going about the things of the day. And all of a sudden, you're a fellow church member, a fellow brother or sister in Christ, is brought to your heart and brought to your concern what do you do with it? What should we do with it? And I'm telling you, when God brings that person to your mind, it's in the light of this passage, and you must intercede for that individual at that time. And again, I submit to you, this is all being stated in the context of a spiritual battle. Many of you were at Harvest Fest this year, and Dr. Shetler gave an illustration of a time when he was a youth pastor, and there was a young man that he'd really didn't have the best relationship. It wasn't a bad relationship. but didn't have the best relationship with this young man. And uh, one particular night, he, I think it was in the middle of the night, he woke up, he was just burdened for this young man. He began to pray for that young man. And it was sometime later that that young man came to him and told him, and it kind of came out in conversation that it was that night about that time when that young man was contemplating taking his own life. And God had moved Dr. Shetler to pray for that young man at that time. I hope you grasp what we're talking about, what this passage is talking about in this place. We're to be watching for one another. We're to be burdened for one another. Why? Because the enemy is real. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. I look out at you and I know that he seeks to harm you. And he seeks to harm the ones that we love, and I'm speaking to, about the church. The devil wants to destroy our testimonies. He wants to hinder the work of God, and we can't afford to continue to take the battle as lightly as we often do. We would do well to have some sleepless nights over the condition of our country, and maybe some sleepless nights about the condition of our families and friends, but especially, according to the Word of God, there ought to be some watching, some sleepless nights, about our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. I can't tell you, but there have been times where some of you have sent me a message or a note or a text, and it's come through, and it's been a great encouragement to my heart, and you had no idea the battle that was going on in my life at that time. And I dare say that more importantly, while I'm thankful for the text and the notes, and truly I am, and you can send them anytime that you want, but more important than a text or a note to an individual, even more important than that, is when you and I get on our knees and we watch and we pray, praying always with all prayer, fervently, in the Spirit, according to the will of God, 
for one another. It needs to happen. It needs to happen. Notice again, verse number 18, that we're to persevere in our watching. We're to persevere in our watching. In other words, be careful not to give up too soon. Be careful not to give up too soon. Don't brush away. Don't brush away or brush off the leading of the Spirit of God in your life to pray. You know, Friday, when uh, Pastor Burden was able to go over to Seymour Elementary with several other pastors from the community, and he was able to go in, we were able to provide as a church some coffee and uh, some breakfast goodies for the, the teachers there. But then he was able to go in and sit with a couple of our teachers, and one of the pastors was able to lead the, church, the, the teachers at Seymour Elementary in prayer. That's an open door of opportunity. And I can remember throughout that day, and my wife will, will attest to this, when she got home, I was as restless as could possibly be. The whole day I was restless. And I'll tell you, part of it had to do with what was going on at Seymour Elementary. Part of it had to do with Beth Motsky and Michelle Perry and, and our students who are, who are members or families who are members of Trinity Baptist Church. And I'm thinking about the Giaventu family, and I'm wondering, okay, how is Jay and Stephanie, how are they going to talk to and teach Olivia what's going on and why this happened and, and what she's supposed to make of this as an elementary student. And, and, the, and the different young people, the different church members who are part of that school family at Seymour Elementary were on my heart. I was restless throughout the day. And frankly, I just kept going to the Lord with prayer, praying for our teachers and praying for the leadership there and praying for the pastors who were there and praying for the students who were there. It's a good thing. That's the Spirit of God leading us to pray, and this is an, uh, a description of what God is doing when he's doing that in your life and in mine. We must be careful not to give up too soon because the enemy is not going to give up. The devil is tireless, he's persistent, he's resourceful, and he's desperate to take as many people with him in his destruction as possible. And until that day, Satan is trying to cause as much destruction as he possibly can. So when God sends you a sleepless night, pray. When God stirs your heart during the day and you, you're on task and things are going well and all of a sudden you just can't get a fellow believer off your mind, what should, you, what should we do? We ought to pray. We, we ought not look at insomnia in the middle of the night as a bad thing. Let's see insomnia as a gift from God, and whether it be in the middle of the night or during the day, let's persevere in our watching and supplication for one another. Pray for the saints when you're having a sleepless night. That brings us to our second and final thought for this morning. First of all, pray as you are watching for all the saints, the end of verse 18. And secondly, pray that fellow believers will be the ambassadors that they ought to be. Now, we're to pray for this. Pray that your fellow believers will be the ambassadors, the representatives of Christ that they ought to be. I'm to pray for you this way. And you're to pray for me this way. And you're to pray for one another this way. In Trinity Baptist Church, can I ask you, are you praying this way for one another? Are you watching for one another? You know, really, until I was studying out this passage over the past couple of weeks, I knew that pastors were to watch for the souls of the people within their congregation. I knew that. But I had never really connected that you are to watch for the souls of one another. That you're to be concerned for one another. Look at verse number 19. He says this, And for me, pray for me, is what he's saying, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, in chains, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now, the Apostle Paul was led by the Spirit of God to ask a group of believers, the church at Ephesus, to pray for him. Should we ask fellow believers to pray for us? When's the last time you asked a fellow believer, hey, would you pray for me about this? How many of us would be embarrassed to go up to a fellow believer and say, Tim, would you pray for me that I'd, be, that I'd have boldness and courage and that I'd know what, what to say when I'm, when, I'm, when I'm functioning as a pastor? Should I be embarrassed to ask Tim Mowry to pray for me that way? What would cause me not to ask someone to pray for me that way? Pride. Sure. 
because I'm a pastor. I should always know what to say. And I'm a pastor. I, I should always have the proper amount of boldness, not too much and not too little, the, you know, just the right amount. Because I'm a pastor. I have a title. Well, we, some of us would say, well, I'm not a pastor, but you know, I've been saved a long time. I, I should know what to say. Why? why? Why would you assume that? The Apostle Paul, who is taught by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, admits, I don't always know what to say. Wow, that's kind of refreshing. It's kind of refreshing to, to think about that for a moment. The Apostle Paul admits to the church at Ephesus, young and old, immature believers and mature believers, he says, I sometimes lack boldness. So pray for me. The Spirit of God led the Apostle Paul to ask the church at Ephesus to pray for him so that he would be the representative of Jesus Christ that God wanted him to be. Now Acts tells us that we're to be witnesses unto him. Witness is someone who has seen something. A witness is someone who has experienced something. Firsthand, for himself. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 says this, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So God wants us to tell others about what he's doing in our lives, what we've experienced. Now this isn't just me, this is you too. Just Thursday, my children were involved in a Christmas play with their school. And uh, afterward, I, I, there was a reunion between me and another guy that I'd played a basket, little bit of basketball with in college. And we haven't seen each other since I was 21. So what's that, 18 years or so? 18 years and counting. Um, and Nate and I were talking, and, and he, he, we were asking each other, what have you been doing? You know, what's been going on in the last 18 years of your life? You know, and we had that conversation. And, and then he said, you know, Dan told me that you were a pastor. And I said to myself, Seth's a pastor? See, some of you, that's all you've ever known me as, is a pastor. And, uh, you know, that, that statement that Nate made I thought to myself, it kind of brought back some of the regret that during those years of my life at that institution, I really didn't follow the Lord. I was going to a Christian college. I really wasn't following the Lord. And, uh, and so Thursday night as we talked here, he, he kind of wanted to know, so like, what happened? <laughs> Are you okay? You know, because the last time he had seen me, I was a certain... I, I behaved a certain way. And, uh, and I was able to tell him what God has done in my life. God has changed my life. And, you know, and Nate, I was just kind of going through the motions. And, I, yeah, I obeyed as many rules as I had to to get by. And I was just kind of going through the motions. And, and frankly, I, I, I didn't come directly out and apologize to him. We really weren't that close. But, but in, a, in a sense, I kind of did. And I said, you know, I'm sorry for that I wasn't a better friend. God's changed my life. And really, that's the idea of being a witness. I was able to tell Nate what God has done, what I've witnessed him do in my life. Of course, we know of the Great Commission in Matthew 28. He says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Certainly, these commands were carried out by the apostles, and they were to be carried out by the apostles, but they're also to be carried out by all of us who have learned Christ. And Paul saw himself, as he says this, pray for me, he, within Ephesians, he saw himself as a prisoner of the Lord. Look back to chapter 3 and verse 1. Chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. He saw himself as a prisoner of Christ. Looked at chapter 4 and verse 1. He says again, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. And he goes on and he speaks about this idea of being a prisoner 
in bondage for the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's no escaping God's instruction. No avoiding God's command. And Paul understood that he needed God's empowerment. And so Paul asked the the Ephesian believers to pray for him. Why? Look again at verse number 19. He says, For me that utterance may be given unto me. For me that utterance may be given unto me. Paul asked the church to pray that God would give him the proper utterance. And the word utterance means the right words to say. Church, you ought to pray for your pastor and your pastors, that we'd know what to say when. You ought to pray that way. I desperately need you to pray that way. But we also need to pray for one another this way. Notice the second request that Paul made of them. It, also in verse number 19, he continues there, that I may, be, that I may open my mouth boldly. Now, frankly, I think the Apostle Paul is one of the boldest men I've ever heard about in my life. And yet this man understood that he lacked boldness sometimes. And so Paul was asking the church at Ephesus, pray for me that I know what to say and that I have the proper amount of boldness when given the opportunity. And then the third request that Paul makes is also found in verse number 19. He says, to make known the mystery of the gospel. Would you pray for me so that I would be able to help people know, help people understand The mystery of the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now that sounds pretty simple. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In in dying, in, in that Jesus died, all of us who are saved died with him. Our old man died with him. In that Jesus was buried... All of us, all who believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, our sins are taken away as far as the east is from the west. In that Jesus rose from the dead, all those who believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ have been also given life, but not just just not normal, everyday life, but eternal life. We've been given life to serve the Lord. We've been saved to walk in newness of life. And Paul is saying to this this church, please pray for me so that I'll know what to say and that I'll have boldness to say what I ought to say and that I'll be able to help people understand what the gospel really is. See, Paul wasn't interested in just going through the motions. See, Paul was an ambassador. He was an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I ask you this morning, are you an ambassador? Are you a representative? Are you a good representative of the Lord Jesus Christ? In your workplace, to your family, as a husband, as a wife, as a young person, are you a good representative of the Lord Jesus Christ? 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. And Paul puts it this way, as though God did beseech you by us. If we think about what an ambassador is, I think 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20 is a wonderful description of what an ambassador ought to be. Paul says to the church at Corinth, he says, we're ambassadors of Christ. And it's so, we're, we're, we're ambassadors to such a level that it's almost like God is beseeching you through us. You know, I, I read that and I think about my children. I think, I wonder, am I such an ambassador of God to my children that when I speak to them, it's almost like God's speaking to them? And that when they watch their father, it's almost like they're seeing, they're seeing truth, the truth of God, the truth that is godly, that is righteous. Are they able to see that through me? Am I a good representation to my children or to the local church of who God is, of who Christ is? And he says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. So whether an apostle or a pastor or a church member or a child, God wants every single believer to be one of his ambassadors. Again, an ambassador acts as a representative. An ambassador in the Roman time 
an ambassador of Rome uh, was the emperor's legate. He represented the emperor, the ambassador. One of the most important officials in the Roman world was the imperial legate. A Roman legate was one of the emperor's representatives. He lived in an outpost of the empire and he enforced imperial policy. And the Roman legate was directly accountable to the Roman emperor. The the legate was the emperor's ambassador. You know that Paul, this is what Paul's saying in our text. Paul's saying, I am Christ's legate. I am his representative. I am his ambassador. And as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, Paul had represented Christ in province after province and city after city. Paul had represented Christ in Athens, in Greece, in Antioch, in Paphos, in Philippi, in Corinth, in Ephesus, in Crete. And the list can go on. Paul had represented the Lord Jesus Christ. Wherever God had Paul, he represented Christ. And Paul, God had used Paul to shake Satan's kingdom to its foundation. But now Satan had Paul in bonds. Paul didn't have the freedom to go wherever he wanted to go. He was chained up. And that's what it says here in verse number 20, for for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein, that in bondage, in chains, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Satan had Paul in bonds. He had Paul in chains. Maybe you feel like you're in bonds this morning. Maybe there are some in this room and you feel like you're in chains this morning. You can't do. You can't serve the Lord in ways that you used to serve him. You can't sing the way you used to sing. Or you don't have the energy you used to have. Or maybe an illness seems to be robbing you of your ability to serve God. Maybe someone here would say, well, it's my youth. And others would say it's their age. And some would say it's finances. We can't give the way we once gave. Or maybe it's that illness Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's just brokenheartedness. Maybe it's changes to a ministry. Maybe you feel like you're in bonds, like the Apostle Paul was. Was the Apostle Paul no longer one of Christ's ambassadors because his ministry had changed? Was he no longer a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ because he was chained chained to a Roman legionnaire uh, uh, throughout every day uh, of every week. And as he sat there, and I can imagine as he penned down these words, or he was, he was articulating them, so maybe Tychicus could be his amanuensis and write down these words, but as Paul sat there, literally in chains, he couldn't get up and go anywhere. He couldn't go to Ephesus, to the people that he loved. Was Paul no longer one of Christ's ambassadors because he couldn't do what he had done in the past? And Paul says, resoundingly, no. At the end of verse 20, he says, Pray for me that therein, that in my chains, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. You see, Paul had the right perspective that though life changes and circumstance change, that a child of God is still an ambassador, a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was still Christ's ambassador, and Satan could not take that away. Every time Paul moved, his chains would have rattled. Every time uh, he moved, he was reminded of his limitations. He was reminded of the opposition of the enemies. You know, I wonder if Paul was tempted to doubt the Lord at times. I wonder if Paul was tempted to be discouraged or grow weary in well-doing. Whatever the case, he asked the church to pray for him. And through prayer, the believers in Ephesus, about a thousand miles away, about 1,200 miles away by road, by prayer, the believers in Ephesus could strengthen Paul's heart. They could help Paul face the opposition. They could help bear his chains. The chains and the bondage were not a pleasant thing. And again, I I say this all in the context of what he's saying in this passage. You and I need to watch for one another. We need to pray for one another. 
It's been highlighted this morning, and some of you have spent time praying for Mrs. Hedrick and Mrs. Merritt. You spent time praying for Mrs. Lawrence. You spent time praying for Mr. Wirtz. Some uh, these four people having enjoyed long marriages with their loved ones who are now with the Lord, and, and the, the, the battle is not over. There are still tr- times of trial. It's been highlighted this morning of Beth Motsky and Michelle Perry over at Seymour Elementary, and other times... It's not highlighted from a pulpit, but the Spirit of God from within you highlights something to pray for a fellow believer. And most of the time, we don't know how dire the circumstance may be. But you and I, as a child of God, have a responsibility to follow Christ, and he lays it out for us in this passage, and he wants us to pray and watch for one another. And it's amazing to me how these believers in Ephesus could help Paul face the opposition. They could help him bear his chains. They could lighten his load. They could encourage his heart. I don't think we really understand how prayer works. There's an elderly lady in Pennsylvania, Mrs. Valeria Leinbach. I think she's probably in her 90s now, late 80s. Mrs. Leinbach prays for us all the time. She'll leave me these voicemails. She'll always read a verse. And she'll leave me a voicemail. She doesn't preach at me. She lets me know she's praying for me. And it's amazing to me how an elderly lady in Pennsylvania who doesn't get out very much anymore can help a pastor in Michigan pastor the congregation that God has given to his charge. I don't think we really understand how our prayers in Michigan can lighten the load of one of God's servants in Tanzania. I'm not so sure we grasp how necessary prayer is, but I do know this, that when God considers all the aspects of a situation and all the forces that govern the universe, the prayer of God's people is one of the factors, one of the key factors that God takes into consideration when he's working in a person's life. We know that prayer works because God says it works. James 5 and verse 16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I I long to see God continue to do a great work within this congregation of believers. I long to see it. But a key to seeing God work in a mighty way in our midst will be prayer. The prayer of God's people from hearts of love for one another and hearts of love to God. The prayer of God's people one for another, watching for the souls of one another. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Psalm 55 and verse 22 says, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Psalm 50 and verse 15, and I opened the the sermon with this passage. He said, And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. And I'll end with this. 1 Peter 5 and verse 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And as God's children, we know that God cares for everyone in this building. And you and I ought to care for our fellow church members. We ought to love one another sacrificially. And we ought to pray fervently for one another.